You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to this Tuesday uh, edition of the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us, you and I, us to triumph in Christ Jesus. I'm so glad to be in Christ, and I know you are. Now, listen, today we're going to conclude a five-lesson series that I began some time ago entitled Sickness, Whose Report Will You Believe? I was led to share on this series because we're hearing so much in this time that we're calling a pandemic about sickness and disease and people in the hospital and, and people dying and so forth and so on. And the media talking about COVID-19 and the mute variant and Delta variant and Omicron and all these different viruses. Well, I felt led of the spirit to start talking about healing and health and long life because the bottom line on it, faith comes by hearing. And if all we hear is these natural reports, then we'll believe that. But if we hear what God has to say, then we have the potential to believe that. Now, our subtopic for the last few weeks has been the same Jesus, the same Jesus. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, that's the past, today, that's the present, and forever, that's the future. So we see, and I wanted to establish that it is God's will for you and I to experience healing if we need it, Health is his best for us and then long life. And we wanted to track God's will from the Old Testament, the ministry of Jesus, and then in the New Testament. Thus far, we've talked about healing, health, and long life in the Old Testament. In our last episode, we talked about healing, health, and long life in the ministry of Jesus. In this final episode, this final lesson, we're going to talk about healing reveal in the New Testament, healing, health, and long life reveal in the New Testament. I'm going to begin now, and here's where we're going. I want us to look at the Great Commission because this is Jesus in his final moments with the disciples, giving instructions, and then he's going to take off to heaven. So notice what he said in the commission, the Great Commission. It is mentioned in Matthew chapter 28 and also in Mark chapter 16. I want to look at Mark chapter 16, verses 15, 17, and 18. It says, Go into all the world. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and ultimately speaking to us. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Then he says something very interesting. He said, these signs shall follow them that believe. These signs shall follow them that believe. 
And one of the, the outstanding signs that he said would follow believers, he said they, believers, will lay hands on the sick and they, the sick, shall recover. Now, notice that he said they, believers, that's you and I, will lay hands on the sick and then the sick would recover. Now, that's an interesting text because it reveals something very subtle. It's, he said that you and I, believers, we're to go into the world, we're to preach the gospel, that's the good news, and that would include God's will for men to have healing, health, and long life. And then he says, they, believers, will lay hands on the sick and the sick in the world would recover. Now, that tells us something. That tells us that God never intended for the church, for believers to be the sick. Because he instructed us, now that should encourage you, even if you're feeling challenged with maybe a condition in your body right now, it tells us that it was never God's will, ultimately, for believers to be sick. It's not his will. He said to us, go into the world, preach the gospel to the world, to the lost, and then the church, you and I, would lay hands on the sick, and the sick the laws, those in the world would recover. So I'm just glad that God wants us to be well. I'm glad that God wants us to be healthy. I'm glad God wants us to be whole. And even if you're challenged today with any kind of condition, God wants you to be well. Whether you're lost, whether you're a Christian, it is God's will that you not be sick. Now, let's leave the Great Commission, the final instructions that Jesus gave to the church. And now let's look at what we call the early church in the book of Acts. Now, you have to remember that the Acts of the Apostle is the Acts of believers in the church. This is after Jesus has ascended to heaven. And the church is going forth in the book of Acts, carrying out the Great Commission. But I want you to want you to recognize and understand this. This church that we call the early church is the same church that you and I are a part of. It's not a different church. It's the same church that you and I are a part of. Now, Luke is the author of the uh Acts of the Apostle. He's also the author of the book of Luke. Now listen what Luke said in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. He said, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Now he says that his former account, now Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. He says his former account and that form account was the book of Luke. And in the book of Luke, we have revealed to us the ministry of Jesus, how he went about doing good, healing all that were sick. He said that this treatise, the book of Luke, was an account 
of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Not finish doing and teach, it's what he began to do and teach. So in the book of Luke, a recording of the ministry of Jesus, we see what Jesus began to teach. We see what Jesus began to, to, to do. So when we get to the apostle, the acts of the apostle, we have what Jesus is continuing to do through the church. That's what the apostle, the acts of the apostle, it is Jesus Christ working through the church. So let's look at, let, at the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses. And by the way, I have my iPad here. You can send any questions. And at the end of the uh, broadcast, I'm going to answer your questions. Now let's look at some witnesses. Bible says in two or three witnesses, every word is established. So let's look at some witnesses. In Acts chapter three, the Bible says that Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer. And there was a man who was lame from his mother's womb, who were who was laid at the gate of the temple, the gate called Beautiful. He was laid there, and every day he will ask for money. He will ask for alms. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3, he looked up and he saw Peter and John coming into the temple, and he asked them for alms. The scripture says that Peter fastened his eyes on this lame man and said, look at us, look on us, look on us. And the man looked up with great focus, expecting to receive money from Peter and John. Well, Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. Then he says, I want you to get up, rise up. And walk. Now, this man hadn't walked. He's an adult now. He hadn't walked. And we know from other uh, texts later on in the book of Acts, this man was above 40 years old. So he's a full-fledged adult, had been lame from his mother's womb. Peter looks at him and says, rise up and walk, take up your bed and walk. And then the Bible says in Acts 3, 6 through 8, it says the man leaped up and stood and began to walk and rejoice in God. So we see now this is the first recorded miracle of healing in the New Testament church because we're in the New Testament church. So we see God is still healing in the church. Now let's look at Acts chapter 5 and we see another witness, verse 15 through 16. It says, all the people in Jerusalem, they brought the sick out into the streets and they laid them on beds and they laid them on couches and they laid them out in the streets. We're out in the public square, out in the streets, so that maybe the shadow of Peter passing by will fall on them. Think about that. People were actually receiving their healing from Peter's shadow. His shadow would touch them. We'll talk about that in just a moment. His shadow would just touch them and people were being healed. And then it says multitudes, multitudes were bringing the sick folk 
and they were all healed. That's Acts 5, 15 through 16. Notice everybody was healed. So we see it's God's will to heal in the church age. That's the age that we're living in. Then we look at another witness in Acts 19, verse 11. It says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul. Some text says he worked special miracles by the hands of Paul. You remember Jesus says that believers would go forth, lay hands on the sick, and they would recover. So here in Acts 19, verse 11, God is doing unusual miracles through the hands of Paul. Paul had a healing ministry. Now watch this. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. Now that is absolutely amazing. The text tells us that Paul would lay his hands on handkerchiefs. This was not hocus pocus. This was not some uh, some witchcraft. No, he would lay his hands on handkerchiefs, lay his hands on aprons. And the Bible says, communicates that the anointing, the healing anointing that was in his hands would flow from his hands into the sick. He's not even present. He would just lay his hands on the handkerchiefs, aprons, and the healing anointing in his hands would flow into the aprons, flow into the handkerchiefs, and then they would take the handkerchiefs and the aprons to the sick, lay them on the sick, and the Bible says the disease left. And the Bible says if they had evil spirits, the evil spirits would depart. So we see a revelation of healing in the New Testament church. If you trace it all the way to the last book of Acts, Acts chapter 28, again, we still see the Apostle Paul actually laying hands on the sick, and we see him healing all of the sick on this island after his shipwreck. So this is the church age, and God is still healing. That laying on of hands is still relevant. And I believe this. I believe this. I believe that any believer, you don't have to be a minister. You don't have to be a reverend. I believe that any believer can lay hands on the sick and expect him to recover. I also believe this. I believe that you can lay your hands on your body. I believe you can lay. If you are a believer, I believe you can lay your hands on your body. And I believe that you can command the sickness to leave and lay hands on your body if you're challenged with any kind of condition. In fact, I want to pray for you right now. I'm going to lift my hands toward you. And whatever your condition may be, regardless to whether it's minor or major, regardless of whether you're at home, in the hospital, or maybe you're just not feeling well. I want to lay, I want to release healing to you right now. And I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to be whole. I break the power of sickness. I break the power of disease. I break the power of every negative report that you've received. 
And I command you in the name of Jesus to be well, to be whole from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. I want you to receive that now. Take just 30 seconds and thank the Lord for your healing today. Now, we're tracing healing, health, and long life through the New Testament. We began with the Great Commission. We've looked at the Acts of the Apostles. Now, let's look at an account of in the epistles. The epistles are the letters written to the church, the letters written to us. And there is, I believe, probably the most outstanding revelation of God's will that his church and, and people behold is the revelation that the Apostle Paul gave to the church at Corinth under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 30, he gives instructions concerning what you and I call the Lord's Supper. We call it communion. And this, this communion experience is practiced all through the church. And in fact, some churches receive communion or what we call the Lord's Supper at least once a week or once a month. But regularly throughout Christendom, people have celebrated the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the finished work of Christ through taking communion. Now, I believe that you can take communion right now. I believe that you can take communion right in your home. You know, we've been in a pandemic and, and many haven't felt comfortable uh, going to church at this point, but it's all temporary. It's all temporary, but I believe you can take communion at home. I got some orange juice right here, and you can grab uh, water, you can grab juice, you can grab anything, and you can and, and you can take some bread, you can take whatever, because these are just symbols. They're just symbols. In our church, we have that grape juice and we have the little bread, but you can take communion. In fact, you can take communion right now. I mean, you can you can receive communion right in this broadcast. In the instructions that Paul gave, he talked about how believers and the church should remember the finished works of Jesus through the communion experience. And there were two major components, the bread and the cup, the bread and the cup. And in Hebrew and first Corinthians 11, verse 23 through 30, he gives some outstanding revelations concerning the bread and the cup. So he said, concerning the bread, this is a symbol, that bread, whatever it may be, cracker, whatever you're using, it represents the broken body of Jesus Christ. And the text says that his body was broken for us. 
his body was broken for you. I see I got a question coming in here. Thank you for your questions. Send all your questions and I'm going to I'm going to get your questions in a moment. Then he talked about the cup. The cup, it may be juice, it, it may be uh, water, it may be whatever, but remember, it's just a symbol now. And he says that this cup represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ that was shed to seal, confirm, and validate the new covenant that Jesus makes with the church, a brand new covenant. He, he was initiating a brand new covenant. Now, so the, the bread represents the broken body of Jesus. The cup represents the shed blood of Jesus. Sacrifice, blood represents death. He died for us on the cross. That represents his establishing a new covenant. So we got the bread and we got the cup. And you you can do it right now if you want to. Now, in verse 29, he says something very outstanding. And I want you to make a special note. He said that many in the church were not discerning the Lord's body. That's an interesting thing. He said many were not discerning the Lord's body. And then he gave some consequences of not discerning the Lord's body in verse 30. He said, for this cause, many are weak, many are sick, and many sleep. Now listen at that. He said, because Christians in the church were failing to discern, understand, appreciate the communion, they were experiencing dire consequences that God never intended for them in their experience. The first consequence that they were experiencing, he said that many of you are weak. Many were weak in their bodies, weak in their mind. Maybe you're experiencing weakness now. It's not God's for God wants you to be strong. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be vibrant. But he said many are weak because they fail to discern the Lord's body. And then he said many are sickly. He's saying in the church, many are sickly. He said for this cause, not discerning the Lord's body. Many are sick. Many people are sick in the church because they fail to discern the Lord's body. And then he says something that we overlook. Even though we receive communion, some of us once a week, some of us once a month, or some of us receive it quarterly because God never told us exactly how often to take it. He just said, take it often. He said, do this often in remembrance of me. So he let, left it us, whether it's weekly or biweekly or monthly or quarterly. He said, I want you to do this. But he said, many are not just weak. He said, many are sick. But then he said, many sleep. And the word sleep in the New Testament means to die. 
So there were people who were weak. There were people who were sick and there were people who had died prematurely. I'm going to pause for a moment and I want that to settle in. There were many people who were weak, which implies it wasn't God will that they be weak. He said many are sickly or sick, which implies it wasn't God's will for them to be sick. And then he says something that we overlook in the church, even though we take this communion on a regular basis, we overlook this. He said many are asleep. In other words, many have died prematurely. And in this in this series, if you remember back and you were with me, I talked about long life and I established from the scripture. You can go back, pull it up on YouTube. I talked about long life being somewhere above 80 to 120. Many in the church in Paul's day, and I dare say many in the church, in the body of Christ now, are dying prematurely. Dying. Yes, the Bible communicates, Ecclesiastes 7.17, that a man can die before his time. A man can die. A man can die prematurely. That's Bible. That's the scripture. But I, what I want to drive home now is the fact that they were dying because they failed to discern the Lord's body. So we got to look at that. Thank you for your questions. Thank you. I see I see several questions here. I'm going to get to them in a moment. What he said is that they were weak, sickly, and died prematurely because they fail to discern the Lord's body. So we got to go back and we got to talk about what does it mean to discern the Lord's body? What is discerning the Lord's body? I believe it means at least three things. At least one, two, three things. Failing to discern the Lord's body, number one, is failing to understand that the believer's body belonged to the Lord. That's 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20. Is failing to understand that your body belongs to the Lord. You see, there are things we can do with our body. We think of sexual sins. And it will, that we, we commit sexual sins with our body, but we also eat badly with our bodies. We also have a bad diet with our bodies. And this text says that if we don't understand that our bodies belong to the Lord, we'll end up abusing it through our diet or we end up putting it in places it shouldn't be, whether it's fornication or sexual, uh, other forms of immorality, uh, uh, adultery, homosexuality, lesbianism, your body belongs to the Lord. So you can't do anything you want with your body. Number two, not discerning the Lord's body also is failing to understand that the body of Christ is one, failing to understand that the body of Christ is one. Now watch this, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, 17. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, 17. There, there are so much division in the body. 
along denominational lines, along other different lines, there's us against them. Word of faith against this group and denominational group against this group. And a lot of times we put down and we talk negative about other ministers and about other churches. You know, I don't do that. I don't talk about other ministers. I don't talk about other churches because they're the body of Christ. If they be, believe the fundamental doctrines of Christ, they are the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is one. And I'm perfectly uh, in my belief. I believe perfectly that there are many Christians that are sick and weakly and will die prematurely because they are they're attacking and divisive when it comes to the body of Christ. But finally, I believe failing to discern the Lord's body is failing to understand the significance of the bread and the significance of the blood. The blood of Jesus was shed so that we would have redemptive rights, privileges in Christ. The, the body was broken so that we could have healing and health. The Bible said, by Jesus' stripes, you were healed. Now, here's the problem, and I'm going to really deal with this in our next series. We have believed that Jesus died for our sins, and that's preached every Sunday. But we fail to understand that Jesus' body was broken with our sicknesses, bruised. And I'm going to show you from the Scripture beginning in our next session, that his body was broken with our sicknesses so that we could have healing, so that we could have health and we could have long life. But many don't understand that. They believe communion is just about the forgiveness of sins. Now, as I begin to close, there's a, a, a few other things I want to note. We're looking in the New Testament, and in the New Testament, I see that God, has given to the church grace, healing, and faith healing. Say that. Grace, healing, and faith healing. Grace, healing, and faith healing. Now, grace healing is God initiating healing apart from our faith. We could find this in what we call the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 and 9, it says the manifestation of the Holy Spirit and it lists nine manifestations. And one of those manifestations is gifts of healings, the supernatural healing of the sick initiated by the Holy Spirit apart from a person's faith. It's supernatural. For example, John chapter five, verse one through nine, there was a lame man at the pool of Bethesda who Jesus healed. He had been lame for 38 years. And out of all the sick people laying there, the spirit of God led Jesus to this one person because these gifts operate as the spirit wills and one person will heal just one because the spirit of God initiated this had nothing to do with the man's faith. Nowhere in the text does it say your faith has made you whole. It was a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But God has given us faith healing because we don't know when the gift's going to operate. So faith healing we see in James 5, 14 through 15. It says, is anyone among you sick? Anyone, anybody, anybody sick among you, any person sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord will raise him up.
If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. The prayer of faith will save the sick. Now notice, faith healing is when you and I take God at his word, stand on the word, and receive our healing. Grace healing or the gifts of healing is the Holy Spirit initiating something apart from our faith. So we see God wants us well, whether it's grace healing, gifts of healings, or whether it is our faith initiating. The Bible says in 3 John 2, Wayman's translation, Dear, my dear friends, I pray that you may in all respects prosper and enjoy good health just as your soul prosper. 3 John 2, God wants us to prosper in our souls, and then he says he wants us to have good health. And then finally, we see long life in our clothes here, Ephesians 6, 2 through 3. It says, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Notice long life. So what we've done, we've seen long life, healing, health in the Old Testament, long life, healing, health in the ministry of Jesus, and long life, healing, and health in the New Testament. This concludes our series on sickness, whose report will you believe? We're going to begin another short series on healing uh, in our next episode. I believe you were blessed. And at this time, I'm going to look at some of your questions. I thank you so very much for being a part of this podcast. Good afternoon. Here's a question. Good afternoon. Is is there were is there were various preachers get the notion of sending blessed handkerchiefs for healing to those who sent a donation? But it's the donation that caused me to doubt the authenticity of the healing. I understand that. I understand that. I understand why you may have some doubts about that. Here's the thing I'll say about that. Whenever you have the genuine, whenever you have the genuine, you're going to always have a counterfeit. And so in anything that you're doing, whether it's responding to me, an invitation I give, or responding to any minister, you have to be led on the inside because there's the genuine where hands are laid on handkerchiefs or hands are laid on oil and that anointing is received, that's the genuine, but there are also uh, gimmicks and games and cons. And so I understand why you have doubt because wherever there's a genuine, Satan is going to always come in and bring a counterfeit. That's a good question. I understand it. I see it too. Okay, but don't move away from the genuine. We see in Scripture that Paul laid his hands on aprons and and on uh, handkerchiefs and people received their healing. So there is a genuine. And now you have to really be led by the spirit. That's an outstanding question. It is. Is it okay to take communion if you haven't been baptized? Listen. Yes, it's okay. Yes, it's okay. For example, now watch this. Watch this. In our church, and I would say most churches that give invitations like this, we can have a service, communion service, and we're going to take communion at the end of the sermon. We preach the sermon, give an invitation, people get saved, 
And we encourage those people to take communion, yet they haven't been baptized yet. Baptism is a command of Jesus. He that believeth and get baptized shall be saved. Now, the baptism doesn't save. It's your believing on the finished work of Jesus. Then in response to you getting saved, you should get baptized. But the baptism may be uh, at some designated point. Well, you don't have to wait. You can take communion because communion is, is a family meal. And if you're born again, you're a part of the family. So, yes, you don't have to wait till you get baptized to take communion. Good question. Why is it that a believer can lay hands on a person and pray fervently for their healing, yet they continue with the same infirmity? Well, I don't know how to answer that question without giving some parameters about it. Now, when the Bible says they'll lay hands on the sick, there are two things involved, in, three things involved in that. Number one, he said, preach the gospel. He said, preach the good news. Well, there needs to be some preaching or communication about the fact that Jesus bore the, the person's sickness as well as sins. And a lot of times that element is missing. There's no preaching about Jesus bearing our sicknesses. And I'm going to take three weeks and I'm going to prove it from the scripture that Jesus bore our sicknesses at the same time he bore our sins. Now, so there's that preaching component, and then there's the faith component of the person laying hands on the sick, believing in the laying on of hands, and then there's the recipient. The recipient have to believe the gospel, have to believe in the laying on of hands, have to believe to receive. So all those things are, are functioning. The preaching, the laying on of hands, and by the way, there are other ways to receive healing other than the laying on of hands. And then there's the believer's response, the believer believing. So sometimes those things are not all connecting uh, great. These are good questions. Can things like unforgiveness, strife, and hatred hinder our healing? Absolutely. Uh, strife can hinder the healing. Hatred can hinder the healing. Um, and it's not, it's not because we have to live perfect to receive our healing because Jesus the one paid for the healing. The healing is free. The issue is that when we're in strife, our heart condemns us. When we unforgi unforgiveness and hatred, our heart condemns us. Your heart, your spirit is the production center. And I believe that strife and unforgiveness will shut down the production center. Jesus said it like this, have faith in God, Matthew, Mark uh, eleven twenty two. 22. Then he says, whosoever say to the mountain. Then he says in verse 24, Mark eleven twenty four, 24, believe you receive. Then he says, when you stand, pray and forgive. Now notice he talked about having faith, believing in your words, believing you receive when you pray. And then he added, when you stand praying, forgive, which tells us that unforgiveness and strife and division can hinder the flow of the anointing. It can hinder the flow of the person receiving. That's another great question. Ecclesiastes 17 says, why should you die before your time? Listen, it is a fact that a person can die before God gets ready for them to die. And I got a lot of teaching on long life. Uh, would you please explain Psalms 90:10? Listen, I, I want I want to say, and I I don't want to 
be flippant, but I shared about that a few weeks ago. I was talking about, you can go back and pull it up, up online. I was talking about long life and the fact that Psalms 90.10 is, is not, it is a statistic. Okay, it's not a promise. It's a statistic. Psalms 90, Moses is praying to God that the the psalm is attributed to Moses. He's interceding because God has said that no one 20 and above will enter the promised land because of their unbelief. They won't die in the wilderness. So they were dying before they were dying prematurely they were dying and some of them was reaching 80 but they were dying prematurely and Moses was was interceding asking God to remove the curse so 70 or 80 is not the promise the promise is above 80 to 120 and I walk you through that so if you didn't hear that if you go back this was just a five lesson series you can go back maybe three Series three lessons or two lessons go back because I talked about the same Jesus uh, in the Old Testament. If you go back to lesson one on the same Jesus, because this is the third lesson. If you go back to lesson one, I talked about long life and I explained that 70 or 80, Psalms 910 is a statistic. He was simply saying they are dying too young. They're dying seven years old. Some of them are dying before up to 80, but he was saying that was too young. It was a statistic, not a promise. We thought it was a promise, but it's a statistic. Now, I did spend a lot of time on that. So if a person died prematurely and they were doing all the right things, married with kids, didn't put down other denominations, took communion, does this mean they didn't die prematurely at the age of 39? No, no, no. Listen to me. Don't, 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 don't get it. Don't twist this. When I say dying prematurely, I'm not talking about the person being a bad person. I'm not talking about uh, the person not loving God. I'm I'm not even saying that the person didn't take communion or put down other denominations. But a lot of people are taking communion and don't know what it means. They don't know what it means. OK. And then when you say a person did all these things, listen to me carefully. Thirty nine is a premature death. It has nothing to do whether the person go to heaven, it has nothing to do with the person that love Jesus. I'm not dealing with that. It is premature death. Okay. Now it is. He said, with long life, I'll satisfy you. Psalms 91, 16, 39 is not long life. So when we start talking about these people did all these things, the scripture says, no man knows what's in a man, but the man think i use the illustration of this god told me to get a certain thing out of my diet i hadn't eat that thing in 21 years now listen carefully i hadn't eaten in 21 years god said you get this out of your diet you don't know what that is you don't know because i hadn't talked about it publicly what if i had disobeyed god and i'm doing all these other things i'm taking communion and you know i'm doing this but i'm still eating what he told me to stop eating I could die prematurely because God sees that's not good for me. So when you say these people did all these things, 
We don't know. We don't know what people are doing in their private life. We don't know what they're saying. We don't know what they're believing. We don't know. So when we start saying this person did all this, you couldn't know that unless you're on the inside of them. You don't know what they're believing. They could be believing, Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired. I want to go to heaven. You don't know that. So I think it's a mistake to say the people doing all this. I never say this about a person because I don't know what they're doing in their private world. I don't know what God says to them in their private world. God will tell us things to help us stay alive, but we have to obey God. If God tells you to quit drinking or God tells you to quit smoking and you keep smoking and you die. That wasn't, that wasn't God's fault. It's you didn't listen to what God was saying. So that's, I hope I'm, I hope I'm explaining this. Adding to the communion question, if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, can you take communion? When I was young, we couldn't. Now, listen, this is my belief. You can take communion because they pass you the, the thing, but it's for people who are born again. The communion, the Lord's Supper, is a family meal. You are actually validating that Jesus died, that he was buried, he was raised from the dead, and every time you bring, take communion, you're remembering this. Well, a person that's not saved is not remembering that. They haven't even accepted so they can't bring up something that they haven't even accepted. They haven't accepted. So communion is for believers. It's for Christians. It's a family meal. Um, will you be doing teaching on mental health? If a question seems to be a challenge to some due to COVID. Yeah, I'm going to do some teaching on mental health. I really am going to do some teaching on mental health. But I'm trying to flow with what God is telling me. I'm, I got three more lessons on health. I'm going to do some teaching on fear. I'll probably come back by health. I'm going to ask my daughter to do some teaching on physical health. And so, yeah, yeah, we're going to have to hit that. We're going to have to hit that area because a lot of people are dealing with that issue when it comes to that. Yes. Somewhat unrelated, but two Sundays ago, Pastor Michael K listed signs of false doctrine. One being karma. How does karma differ from reaping what you sow? Well, you know, the, the bottom line on it is karma is not a Christian doctrine. It's not a Christian doctrine. Uh, it, it is consistent with the doctrine of sowing and reaping, but it's not a Christian doctrine. There are a lot of things that are involved with karma, karma has a lot to do with the universe. The universe decided this and the universe did, did that. It was just his karma. So when people are using that term karma, they're not speaking from a, a scriptural pr perspective, but there are things in, in false doctrine that may be consistent with a Christian principle like sowing and reaping, but it's not Christian because karma has to do with the universe. It has to do with things just coming back your way. But the sowing and reaping is much different than that. But that's an outstanding question. What it shows you is that there are a lot of things that are in false doctrines that are consistent with 
Christian doctrine, because listen, if Satan is going to trick people, he's not going to just take a whole new ball game. He's going to take part of what's Christian, take part of the Bible, take part of this, wrap it up a different way and, and get people caught up in it. So that's an outstanding question. And the very fact you asked it, let me know that you're, you're a student and I appreciate the question. Um, what if you can't quit smoking and he told you to? Well, listen, think about it. That's a great question, but think about it. Why would God tell you to do something? You can't do it. The bottom line, the reason why we can't do it is because we're dealing with our strength. When you, that person is not dealing with the Holy Spirit. It's not like the Holy Spirit is helping them and they can't quit. It's not like the grace of God is helping them and they cannot quit. No, no. If, if God tells us to quit something, we can, and he's going to give us the help through the word, through the Holy Spirit, through the grace of God. Great questions. Um, I think a testimony, Pastor Mike started this lesson. Testimony. When Pastor Mike started this lesson, I had a knot on the side of my faith, which was near my left ear, and I knew that it was God's desire for the knot to be on the side of not to be on the side of my faith because my faith wasn't formed by wasn't formed by God to have something on it that wasn't functional for him. The knot is no longer there on the side of my faith because I believe the report of the Lord by his stripes, I'm healed, not waiting to be healed, but I'm already healed. That's faith healing. Listen, I'm glad you sent that testimony in because the word works. It works all the time. If you'll believe it and receive it, I believe people got healed today. Thank you, Pastor Mike. Really appreciate you. Wow. Good lesson today. We got three more lessons going to be a totally different subject, but I got to establish that Jesus bore it on the cross for you. Thank you. Look forward to seeing you next time.